I want to invite you to stand with me as we read God's word for us this morning. I'm going to actually start in Hebrews 6 verse 19, but then I'm going to read through chapter 7 and verse 10. And as I read, I want you to know that um, that in God's perspective, that guy we met last week, Melchizedek in Genesis 14, he's kind of like a, a figure, like an action figure. Okay, you know, like Mandalorian, those little guys um, that you might get for Christmas to represent the guy on the screen that you love who's real or whatever. Well, Melchizedek is like this figure of the Savior that God gave to us this Christmas. And I want you to listen to what he teaches us uh, about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 19. We have this. As a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from Them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder if you have any idea what was the first gift you ever received for Christmas. Uh, I have no no idea. You know, maybe my mom knows. Maybe the moms here would keep track of that sort of thing for their own kids. But I did some research. Uh, I was born in 1978. And the most popular gift from 1978 was the Hungry Hungry Hippos game. Uh, I don't think I got that as a little baby. Um, but I, uh, one thing I do remember is being hungry all the time. So it would have been a good gift. Um, uh, a few years later, 1982 was when Michael, 
Todd, another pastor of this church, was born. And uh, the, the big gift that year was this Rubik's Cube. I imagine that would have been a really good gift for Michael um, working on that hand-eye coordination. You know, at a young age, he became such a good golfer. Um, I, I had one of these at some point in my life. I never, ever solved it. Uh, it was so frustrating to me. This early version, though, those were stickers with the colors on them. So I just took the stickers off. And and then I made one side blue. You know what I mean? Um, it was pretty lame. Uh, that, that same year, Mickey Shane Halls, another pastor of this church, was born. And this was another one of the big gifts that year, the Commodore 64, the personal computer with professional power. Um, uh, I, I guess I was really blessed because I had that one as well at some point. Uh, Mickey was probably using it to crunch numbers in a way that I was not using it. Um, I just remember playing a game on it, it was, and it was really, really lame. I think it was just a black screen with, I think it was green let, like letters. Um, there weren't pictures, kids, in, these, in our video games, there weren't pictures, there were just words, like it was just paragraphs, and then you just had the best time doing it. And, you know, now, I mean, you think about now, we have far more powerful computers that we carry around in our pockets. Well, after all that, and after many, many Christmases passed. Another one of our pastors was born. Uh, 1996. Uh, the big, <laughs> big gift when David Koontz was born was uh, Buzz Lightyear, the ultimate talking action figure. He was ultimate until Toy Story 2 came out. Well, I, I doubt your first Christmas gift is, is holding up any better than ours were. Uh, one thing that seems to be true, no matter how perfect the gifts we give are, and, and that is that they do not last. I'm just going to guess that some of the gifts that you plan to give this year fall into the same kind of gifts that you've given those people before. Because our gifts don't last. I mean, Uncle Eddie tried to encourage Clark Griswold, you know, at, at a good gift. Whenever Clark finally got one-year membership into the Jelly of the Month Club, remember what Uncle Eddie encouraged him? Now, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. I wanted to spend another week on this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. Because Hebrews 7 says that Melchizedek helps us understand who God has given. Listen again to what was said at the end of chapter 6. This one who God has given is a sure and steadfast anchor. A forerunner. Having become a high priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. The title of the sermon is. The gift that keeps on giving. The gift. That keeps on giving. God's first Christmas gift. Lasts. 
That's the main point of this sermon. God's first Christmas gift lasts. I want to give you three ways that this this man Melchizedek, according to God's word, prepares us for God's first Christmas gift. And when we get to um, the gift that God gave that keeps on giving, we, we see that this this gift is a person. It's his own son. So point number one, he is a ruler who keeps on ruling. Point number one, God's first Christmas gift is a ruler who keeps on ruling. If there is a role that anyone who was paying attention would have expected God's first Christmas gift to play, we would expect that Christmas child to be a king. Because God kept on telling us that what we needed was a king. And specifically a king who would rule from David's throne. And and even though the, the New Testament isn't here focused on Melchizedek serving as a king. That, that is how he was first introduced to us in Genesis 14. He was the king who blessed Abram after he whooped up on Chad. That's, that's what I'm calling uh, Chadle Larimer, who Kelly pronounced her name, his name so well. I call him Chad. He was a bit of a Chad, don't you know? Uh, he and his uh, coalition of bullies... Remember, Abraham went and and took them down and and Melchizedek comes and responds to Abram by giving him a blessing. We hear about this in in Hebrews seven. Let's look in verse one. But this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is, that's Melchizedek, first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. What what God is saying is Melchizedek resembles God's first Christmas gift, the Son of God given to us in Jesus Christ. He's telling us, if you want help celebrating Christmas, if you want help celebrating God's first Christmas gift, you will do well to think about Melchizedek. And there's three really encouraging observations that he's making about the king, Melchizedek. Verse 2 His name literally means king of righteousness, Melchizedek. Mel for the word king and Zedek for the word righteousness. He is the king of righteousness. All all they're doing in Hebrews 7 is, is paying really close attention to the details, even of the meaning of his name. And it's it's all to help us remember and do this this Christmas. The child we're celebrating is a righteous king. You can have total confidence that Jesus is righteous. And that at least means that he is right about everything that he does. 
And you can apply that to you. Jesus, the King of God, has never, ever done you wrong. There is nothing that he will bring into your life as the one who rules over this world. There is nothing that he will bring to you in this season that will be wrong. Even the hard stuff. And some may go through really hard stuff, even this week. All of that, you can believe, will come from a king who is righteous and who means you good. God's Christmas gift was a king who was righteous. But then it it focuses uh, again on, on where it was that Melchizedek was a king. It was over Salem. I mean, this is just an encouragement to us all to pay close attention when we're reading the Bible. There's so much there. When he says he's king of Salem, he's saying, don't you know what the word Salem means? It is a place, yes, but it was named after Shalom, which means he is the king of peace, not just of righteousness. And that is one of the prophecies that I think we would have been most familiar with about who Jesus would be. He would be the prince of peace. We're told that this king would settle disputes wisely. They would bring peace where there was conflict. And then ultimately he's going to make every war. To cease. He's going to bring us to a world where there will be no war. So I think what this means for us is what should decorate our homes, what should fill our homes this Christmas, even. More than lights and, and, and music should be peacemaking. Peacemaking. Being ruled. This is the gift. Being ruled by the King of Peace. That should affect how we live. Certainly how we... Celebrate Christmas. Our our Christmases should be characterized, in other words, with forgiveness. Bitterness, to put it another way, bitterness should be no more welcome in our Christmas than eggnog. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, It's gross. You know, just stop it. And stop trying to ruin my Christmas by offering me eggnog. And what will ruin Christmas even more is being someone who's easy to to offend. Someone who is quick to break peace with others. Someone who is slow to make amends. Someone who holds on to those grudges. So I do want to encourage us, let's worry less about spending money this Christmas. Let's worry less about wrapping paper and doing the right gifts or whatever. Let's worry less about those things than 
then we, we are concerned with reconciling with those who have wronged us. And let, let us, let us be ruled by the one who keeps on ruling and bringing peace by us being really, really quick and thorough in our confessions for those who we have wronged. God's first Christmas gift is the King of Peace. And beloved, He lasts. He lasts. Verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 7 is really fascinating. He tells us Melchizedek had no father and no mother, no beginning. He's without genealogy, no end. It's testified of him that he ever lives. Uh, The reason he's saying this is because he's thinking about Genesis and he says, man, that's so weird in Genesis. Because Genesis is is filled, every, every main character in Genesis, we're told who their father was. Every main character in Genesis, we're told how, when they began... And when they ended, and basically how long they lived. But when we, when the author of Hebrews reads Genesis 14 closely, we meet this really important character named Melchizedek. And, and none of that is said about him. And what he's saying is he's like, he's like those Christmas gifts that you, you didn't, you put the Energizer batteries in. You know, not the store, store brand in, uh, batteries in. You put the ones that make them keep on going and going and going. It's like that for Melchizedek. In Genesis, when it's mentioned that having no father and having no mother, it's like he came out of, he's always been, right? When it says that, it doesn't say anything about him dying. It's as if he always lived. Well, it's only as if that for Melchizedek. He's not really the ruler who keeps on ruling. Jesus is. That's his point. Jesus had no beginning. He is not just the man Jesus. He is the son of God who is begotten, not made of the same substance as God the father. It was like Melchizedek did not have a father, but Jesus really did have no human father. He was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit for this reason. Because he would be a righteous king and he had to avoid the unrighteousness that is passed on from father to father all the way back from Adam. And the baby who we are worshiping grew up and and yes, he did die. He, He died. And yet he has no end. He was raised from the dead and he rules even now. We needed a ruler who would keep on ruling. So God's first Christmas gift lasts. In all of our activities this week. In all of the ways that we respond to every little thing that happens to us. Even the way we feel about the various things that happen to us. And all the choices that we make. I pray that one thing would be absolutely clear. And that is that we are full of joy. That we can be ruled by so great a king. 
It was King David actually in, in Psalm 110 who first was thinking about Melchizedek when he was thinking that what the world really needed from God was yes, a king, but not just a king. He said, we need a priest. And we need the kind of priest who is a priest forever. And so that's where this promise comes from that Hebrews 7 is, is connecting with Genesis 14. Point number two, God's first Christmas gift is not just a ruler who keeps on ruling. He is a servant who keeps on serving. Point number two, a servant who keeps on serving. When Abram ran into the priest, Melchizedek was a king, but he was the priest of the Most High. That is the, the true God. He, he ran into him and Abram, we're told, gave Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of all that he had won. That that rule would later, later become, or his example would later become the law where God's people would end up giving financially this amount in the Old Testament to those holy men who served in the presence of the Lord. Hebrews 7, 4 through 10. I read it to you earlier. I, I, maybe I lost all of you earlier when I was reading verses 4 through 10. You just gotta, you gotta know some parts of the Bible are, are challenging. They're, uh, some passages are real thinkers. And um, and they require deep thought, but but there's there's truth in these verses about the one who resembles God's first Christmas gift, and 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 we need to understand this. He's saying that Melchizedek was so great because listen, hang with me. Melchizedek is a priest, but he's not from the tribe of Levi. That's what he's saying. He doesn't come from the great-grandson of Abraham, who all the priests in Israel come from. They came later. Melchizedek came before Levi. He says when Abraham was handing him the tithe to the priest, Melchizedek, it was like Levi was still in his loins because he would be born later. It was almost like Levi, the great priest of Israel, was paying a tithe to the priest who he knew was greater. The point of all that is to say, just because Jesus was born into the family of kings, to the tribe of Judah, that doesn't mean he can't be a priest. If he's a priest like Melchizedek, a better priest, one who came before that model, and that's what he is. And so beyond what we read earlier, look in, look in Hebrews 7 and verse 16, where it speaks of Jesus, another priest in the order of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement, that is because he was born from Levi, but he's become, Jesus is a priest by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him. It was promised of him by David in Psalm 110. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, uh, I hope you followed me. What, what God is saying is really good news about the first gift he gave. He gave a ruler who keeps on ruling, and he gives a servant who keeps on serving. 
Let the language of servant is the language of the priest who is at the altar of God. And what he's saying here is when Jesus was raised from the dead, he went into the inner place, the holy of holies, in the temple, not on earth, but in heaven. And the end of chapter 6 says that Jesus is serving in the presence of God as the priest forever. And he can only do that because he has a life that cannot be destroyed. And that's really good news because we will never need another priest. We always have the priests we need. Sinners need priests. Sinners need someone to stand in between us and God. Some Sinners need for someone to offer blood that God accepts. And we have that priest and we always have him. In the movie A Christmas Story, we've got a classic mom. Uh, she she serves her family tirelessly, we're told. Um, she hasn't even had a hot meal for herself in 15 years. She's just always serving others. The moment she tries to take a bite, someone asks for something else. And that's funny uh, because most of us can relate to the idea of, of a mom who works harder than everyone else. I mean, what would our Christmases be like without good mothers planning all the presents, making the meals, even coordinating the outfits? <laughs> Some boy, boys, you might get to a point where you're actually thankful for that. I haven't necessarily gotten there, but I think I, I think I will. But they're doing it because they love us, making sure we get that pick. Even if it takes 700 tries to get it. The great service of mothers are a shadow. Just a shadow. Of the appetite. That God's first Christmas gift has for serving others. He has such an appetite for serving others. Jesus is the gift who keeps on giving in the altar, at the altar, serving as a priest for our souls. And this is what it said at the beginning of our passage in chapter 6. He is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. He is our hope because he's gone into the presence of God. Behind the curtain where we could not get Jesus has gone there as a forerunner on our behalf, being a priest forever. God's first Christmas gift has gone into that place that the high priest of this world, you know, they, they, they could get into the holy of holies momentarily. And then they had to get out. They got in there just long enough to offer the blood. To just long enough to plead with God. God, take this blood for our sins. 
And do not forsake your people. And we're told that Jesus is a sure and steadfast anchor for every soul who places their hope in him. A sure and steadfast anchor is an anchor that don't move. It's staying there and everything tied to it is staying right there. He isn't there in the presence of God as a priest momentarily. He isn't just there for a moment and then gets out of there because he doesn't belong there. He's there, beloved, and he's there forever. Our priest is before God forever. God's first Christmas gift is there and it lasts. He lasts when you sin, right when you need him, he'll be there. He laughs. He laughs. I assume some of you need to hear this. And not just me. God's first Christmas gift lasts. When your selfishness takes over. He'll be there. If you love Jesus. You do not ever have to be afraid that God will ever forsake you. Because Jesus is the priest who has offered the kind of blood that lasts. It is enough when you hurt those who have hurt you first. It is enough. It still keeps. It's still good when you feel slighted. He will be there to remind God of the blood. He doesn't have to step back in there again because he's there always as our priest. And God accepts his blood always. He's there to remind you that we who are in Christ are accepted by the only one who ever mattered. God has sworn. This is the language that he uses. I have sworn and I will never change my mind. You are a priest forever. I love Christmas traditions. Um, I love participating in them. I love coming up with new ones. I've already at different times this season talked to each member of my family. We've gathered them around and talked about the different traditions we have and asked you know which ones they love the most I've, we've we've talked about even the meals that we normally make and the special things that we do and we've we've talked through how to make them even better there is a, a i think a, a a new tradition that i want to start um and that is to put an anchor on the tree i mean if y'all found a a, a real anchor i'd love to put it you know you know, we'll have to clean it, I'm sure, because Mama wants to clean it. I want to put it maybe by the tree or part of the part of our tradition each year is to look at the anchor and, and to be reminded, I have an anchor in the holy place of God. He has gone there on my behalf as a forerunner. In other words, he's going to be there until I'm there. So the anchor, the sure and steadfast 
anchor of our souls, is God's first gift from Christmas. Our priest, keeping our soul from floating away, keeping our hearts from being tossed, keeping us from drowning in guilt. God knows how to give good gifts, beloved. And there's every reason, no matter how this week goes, to rejoice. Because we've been given a ruler who keeps on ruling and a servant who keeps on serving. Now, the the next and last part that the first Christmas gift from God plays actually can't be seen in the life of Melchizedek, but it's here in this passage. He is the Savior who keeps on saving. Point number three, God's first Christmas gift is the Savior who keeps on saving. You know, the best figures in the Bible are failures, ultimately. I mean, Mel- Melchizedek has given us some of what we should expect, but he never, he never played the part of a savior. I mean, Genesis 14, uh, it was Abraham who was playing the part of a savior. He's the one who went and he rescued his nephew and, 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 and brought him back along with all who were captured with him. I want you to listen, though, to how Hebrews 7 speaks of the qualities that Melchizedek, living forever, how even though he has those as a priest, look at, look at how they're described when it comes to God's first Christmas gift. Later in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 23, listen to this. He lives forever. The former priests were many in number, the, the priests in Israel were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Look at, look at this in verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he lives always lives to make intercession for them. The first Christmas gift from God is a Savior who keeps on saving. Says to the uttermost. To the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost. Now, uttermost has a geographical aspect to it. Jesus is a savior who keeps on saving geographically, like everywhere. Listen to what it says about Jesus in Revelation chapter 5. Worthy are you, Jesus, for you were slain and by your blood you bought people for God from every tribe, from every language, every people and every nation. God's first Christmas gift saves people no matter where they are. And the good news of that is that it means no matter where they are on the globe or no matter where they are with God. God doesn't need, in other words, to make more saviors if the one we, he, that he's given lasts. And he lasts for 
Everywhere he saves to the uttermost. I'm sorry, are we, we doing okay? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to pray for Cindy. What's going on? Okay. Let's just pray. Okay. Father, we we pray for our sister. We, We ask that you would be near to her. You know what's going on in her body. We pray that you would heal her and make her feel better. Um. God, would you help her in Jesus' name? Amen. All right. Trusting that she's getting good care, <laughs> I'm going to keep on going. Uh, because there are, there are two more things that uh, are just amazing from the statement that Jesus saves to the uttermost. It has a geographical aspect to it, but it also has a temporal aspect to it. What I mean is, he is the Savior who keeps on saving for all time. Now, this, this is a gross understatement. Jesus is a better gift than any we've ever gotten. He is the gift that keeps on giving, not just for the whole year, but for the rest of human history. He will keep on saving. Because he lives always to keep on saving. I've prayed. I've prayed. I've prayed. I pray a lot before preaching. One of the things I, I've prayed is that the Lord would open the eyes of someone here who is not following Jesus. I wonder if anyone has come here and through the sermon has come to fear that if Jesus is a righteous king who will judge the unrighteous, then he should judge you. I wonder if there's anyone here who has realized that God has offered blood that he will accept. And if you don't accept his blood, then God will not accept you. I truly hope there is someone here who realizes the danger that you're in for dishonoring God's lasting king and priest. But I want you to hear this very clearly. Jesus is also the savior. Whose love for sinners, whose desire to save is going to last as well. praying for you.
Listen to what the text says. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. It was fitting that we should have this kind of high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to offer sacrifices again for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. Listen, Jesus offered a sacrifice that keeps on working. And that means it will work for you, whoever you are, and no matter what you've done, if you will draw near to this God through him. He loves to save, and he's still saving. Him being a savior to the uttermost has a geographical aspect, a temporal aspect, but also a personal aspect. He's the Savior who keeps on saving. Listen, He keeps on saving you, believer. He saves us to the uttermost. Which is to say, no matter what happens to us in this life, He will save us. No matter what is done to you, if you believe in Him, He will save you. No matter what dangers come to you, if you believe in him, he will save you. No matter what trouble you get yourself in, he saves to the uttermost. All those who draw near to God through him. I'll tell you one thing that has not changed. And that is that from time to time I stick my foot in my mouth. One Christmas, I asked a friend of mine, so did you make out like a bandit this morning? And what I was saying was, uh, in, in my obnoxious way, I was trying to say, what did you get for Christmas? Did you get just a ton? And he looked at me, and he, he was obviously embarrassed and sad, and he said, I got nothing. Some don't want the most wonderful time of the year to last. For others, I mean, even if this week is just wonderful. Don't try to make this Christmas last. I mean, wouldn't it be better for all of us just to keep going back to the first one? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you know how to give good gifts we're so grateful that your first gift lasts. It's lost no power. It's lost no wonder. And we believe that Jesus Christ is still giving us all that we really need. So would you help us to focus on your first gift and worship him? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.